Welcome, Lockwood Barr, to Applaudable Perspectives. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, my golly. I think we were going to do this pre-COVID, and then uh, everything kind of imploded, and here we are today. But yeah, I where, think where is time? time. <laughs> it's, a weird, it's a weird, weird, weird time. So um, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking time, and uh, very delighted that that you've decided to work with PLA all this time, and we've enjoyed the journey. And uh, let's start a little bit about talking about you and where you're from, and sort of how you made your way to Nashville. Um, you're a Northern California native. I am. Yeah, I, I I grew up just north of San Francisco, um, but I have a lot of family in Tennessee and Kentucky. So I grew up. Uh, I grew up visiting the area a ton, um, including family in Nashville. And so I was raised, my parents raised me on a lot of country and bluegrass music and Dolly Parton and all that, you know, Allison Krauss and Union Station, you name it. That's what was playing in the car. Those were the concerts we were going to. Um, your, your parents are both musical. Your pa parents are both musicians as well. Yes, right. my mom. My mom played professionally for a time when she was uh, when she was younger, and and my dad's a banjo player, so I play his banjo. Um, it's on permanent loan now. So it was just kind of everywhere growing up. It was a very musical household. We traveled a lot, um, especially to this region of the country, and you know, and so it's kind of. It's in a weird way. I feel like this was the only career I was ever set up to succeed in, just based on the house I grew up in. Um, and then I came out for school. I went to Vanderbilt, which a bunch of my older cousins were at Vanderbilt when I, while I was applying to college, and I just wanted to be like my cool older cousins. And at that point, you know, I started writing music in middle school, high school, and so I just, you know, it was kind of one of those. I'm going to go to Vanderbilt. I'm going to move to Nashville. Like I was super decisive about everything. Um, and I look You're back. a planner. You're an organizer and a planner for sure, Lockwood. Um, let, let me ask you a question. What did you study at, at Vanderbilt? Tell, tell the people what your major was. Uh, my major was child psychology. So mm -hmm. um, it was, well, the actual major was called child study. So it was a mix of child psych and education philosophy um, and it was an absolute blast. I loved it. Um, and I, I, cause I'm a big believer that psychology makes for good songwriting. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was wonderful. And I think it did. I think it made me just a good thinker. Um, so you, you made your way to Vanderbilt and you started studying you loved the studies and, and child psychology or ch child's childhood studies, but Rewind for a second. You started writing before you came here, and one pivotal event happened when you were in high school that uh, really catapulted you into songwriting. Do you want to share that with us? Yeah. Well, I had, um, you know, I started writing sort of at the end of middle school and um, in high school. And my senior year of high school, uh, a childhood friend who I'd known since kindergarten uh, died by suicide. She jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. And you know, but what's crazy is as I look back, I think the truly unbelievable part is that this wasn't the first one. In fact, there's a song on my first, there's two songs about uh, suicide from the Golden Gate Bridge on my first record. Um, because two years before, so my childhood friend was Casey, uh, Casey Brooks. And two years before that, a mom um, of another kid in my class took her life on the bridge. And so mm -hmm. that's the song 
that's the song broken. And then Casey's song is starting over. And, um, you know, it was, I don't know, like, I just, it really sent me, I want to say downward, but I mean, it, it ultimately some really productive things came out of it. But mm-hmm. I, I just, I couldn't believe, you know, they're four foot barriers on the bridge. Anyone can just hop over in a second. Okay. And, and, and to me, it was also so symptomatic of just sort of the pressure cooker life that we were in, that there was really just no perspective on the rest of the world. Like it, it was, you know, I think it was this perfect boiling point of kids feeling like there was no way out. And then the bridge made it so easy. And so Casey's group of friends, we all were trying to kind of get people's attention and go to the the board of the Golden Gate Bridge. And really no one would listen. And finally, I went to, um, I grew up in Tiburon, which is on the water. And so I went to the town council and we wrote a resolution to get a barrier on the bridge. And it sort of got some momentum moving on this. Like it was kind of like, hey, local governments are starting to get involved in this you know, you can't ignore us anymore. Um, so that so was like I, a 10 year journey, wasn't it Lockwood of, of it, it, meetings it, and lobbying and talking to politicians, right? Yes. And even now it's not done, you know, funding keeps getting moved around. It was supposed to be done this year. It's going to take another year or two. Um, you know, it's, but I have hope that it's happening. The fact that it, you know, I mean, there was a point where I lost hope and thought maybe my grandkids will, we'll see a bridge with a barrier on it. So I'm, you know, it has been this 10 year journey, but I'm grateful that it's happening. Um, And it's, it's kind of one of those things where I heard this saying a couple years ago that it was like, the more, you know, the harder it gets. And I think part of the reason that I was able to do what I did with the resolution and the town council and everything was because I didn't know how complicated the world was in a lot of ways. I was just a kid who missed her friend and wanted to do something about it. And so I just kind of assumed if I tried, then something would happen, (laughs) you know, like there was sort of this like ignorance is bliss of like, well, you know, I'll go do something about it. Who, you know, who's going to stop me? Like, and so it's, I, you know, I feel like I almost need to remind myself of that attitude, um, sort of into adulthood and out of college and just, you know, anyways, but yeah, so it was, it's a, it's a crazy part of my life to reflect on. And it always stays with me. I mean, I've ended up lobbying for more mental health policies here in Tennessee with governor Bill Lee, um, uh, the American foundation for suicide prevention, uh, does a lot of really good work, um, on the political side of things with informing state legislatures about positive ways to impact healthcare and everything. They're really proactive. And so I've gotten to gotten the chance to be a part of that and actually talk to state lawmakers in Tennessee and, mm-hmm. uh, so you know, that song, uh, that, that actually got you on the radar of major national television. So talk a little bit about what happened because of the song that you wrote. Oh, yeah. I ended up on CBS Sunday morning. Um, It was kind of wild. I think they were just, you know, I think something that has been really powerful about Casey's legacy is that, you know, there is no real face of suicide. It can happen. Mental health and mental illness can happen to anybody. And I think 
here Casey was, she was gorgeous. She had really loving parents. She'd already been accepted into a good college. She, uh, you know, I mean, the world was at her feet. I mean, anything was possible. And yet she died by suicide. And so I think it, her story was this, and the fact that the movement was sort of started by other teenagers, it just seemed to capture media attention in a way that it hadn't previously. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so first I got a call from the Washington or I've San Francisco Chronicle. And then the Washington post said, I got a call from them and they said, we, we hope you don't think this is creepy. We got your number from the Chronicle. We're interested in Casey's story. And then I got a call from CBS Sunday morning and they were like, we hope you don't think this is creepy. We got your number from the Washington Post and wow. we're, we're really moved by Casey's story. And so CBS Sunday morning actually flew a crew out to Nashville um, right. to talk about sort of Casey's impact. And they recorded some of my songs and, and filmed one of my shows at the listening room. And, you know, I think it's I think it's exciting that it's starting. Like it was just it was such an honor because obviously I love and miss Casey, but it's really amazing that Casey's story is kind of being used for like this higher purpose now, mm -hmm. um, that she has, that her story has sort of captured hearts in a way that really it hadn't before. Mm -hmm. Um, she kind of was able to be this face for it of like, it doesn't matter how great your life is. Mental illness can come in. Cause that was one of the things we'd heard as kids too, was like, well, you know, she wouldn't have died that way if she, you know, were responsible and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and all the kids were like, say it to my face. Like she was great, Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? And so that was, um, a huge honor to get to play music on a national stage for Casey. Um, and then I ended up flying up and doing a show with Larry Wilmore, who is a big, it turns out I didn't realize this, but he's a big mental health advocate, which is not surprising now when I look at some of his comedy, but the Jed Foundation flew the both of us up there. And so it's just, um, it's just really exciting. Like I said, that Casey's story seems to have caught hold. Something, something is hooking people and it's, you know, it's time. <laughs> it is time. And, and I think so. it's also superseding the stigma we still have a stigma about mental illness. We don't have a stigma about cancer or any other illness, but we do have a stigma still, a uh, judgment about mental illness. So I think it's very important what you're doing. Um, well, and I think also I heard another, um, the mother of one of the Columbine shooters has spent her life sort of trying to repay the debt of her, you know, son's actions, but she has since started referring to mental health as brain health. Mm -hmm. And I, and I love that, like thinking of like mental feels a little bit less tangible, but we know what the brain is and it sits mm -hmm. in our skull and we need to, anyways, I just thought that was really interesting. And I love that sort of mm -hmm. imagery. So you, you finish at Vanderbilt and then you move to Nashville intent on, on pursuing a career in music and really immerse yourself in the songwriting community. Yeah, it I mean it was there were definitely some growing pains because I was used to the comfort zone of Vanderbilt when I first got out of school, but um you know, Nashville's a really loving community once you kind of break into it. So, you know, the first couple years were really just me like going into bars begging for jobs essentially, you know, and trying to meet other writers, trying to book shows, just trying to build any semblance of community and get 
and get my name out there. Um, you know, cause I was a student, I didn't have a ton of money. I always had to keep a job on the side or whatever. So it wasn't, you know, I wasn't able to immediately like get out on tour or anything, but I thought, okay, what I can do is get plugged into the songwriting community. And that's really where all my success has stemmed. Um, and even my ability then to turn around and tour came from networking with BMI and doing those songwriters festivals down in Florida and all these sorts of things. So it's been, um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of, there was sort of, I felt like I was on a hamster wheel for a minute and then all of a sudden it just, (laughs) and then all of a sudden it just sort of hit and I realized I had a crew and I had a good community and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've been really lucky. Like there are so many horror stories that come out of the music industry And not that everyone I've met is the perfect person, but I mean, I just, like I said, when you think about those horror stories of the music industry and people getting taken advantage of, I'm so lucky. The people that I've, the people that have sort of become my crew and my, my songwriting world, my, the musicians I tour with, um, are just amazing humans. And, you know, even like I was in, I did the downtown house band thing on Broadway for a while and I still play with those musicians. We all kind of got our chops together. Um, cause there's nothing like a three hour shift in front of drunk tourists to, <laughs> to make you figure out how to hold an audience's attention, how to build the stamina to play your instrument for that long, you know, all those things. So it's, you know, it's sort of been this slow build of this, like, you know, it's a, it's just layer after layer sort of getting the groundwork. And, and I, I feel really lucky to be where I am. Do you have a core of co-writers that you like to work with or are you always open to write with new people? I would say yes to both. I definitely have a crew of people that I adore and write with regularly, but you know, I think that it's I think it's good for skill level to to always be open to writing with new people and to want to challenge yourself. Um, you know, it kind of writing with new people, it kind of keeps you on your toes. And, um, I think there's something good in sort of being uncomfortable in the writing, you know, like there's a lot of vulnerability that happens in writing rooms. So you really have to sort of break down those walls when you're writing someone with someone new. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I try to balance it, you know, because it's like, obviously I have people that I've hit it off with. And so we write whenever we can and very regularly, but, um, you know, I also think it's a good way to to stay relevant because if you're staying on your toes, you're going to be more experimental and um, keep the ideas fresh. So I think it's a balancing act. Mm-hmm. So you were chugging along. You had some success. You've had some sync licenses. You've had some music placement. Um, and then COVID hits. And obviously it threw us all for a loop. And you actually contracted COVID. I did. What was that like? And were you fearful? Were you going to come out of it? Did you, were you afraid about her, your voice or your, uh, your lungs and your ability to sing? I mean, what was that like? I mean, first of all, I was, I mean, my first emotion was anger because I was so cautious and we had a neighbor pod and there was, you know, without going sort of turning it into a can of worms story, just to keep it short, we essentially had, a family member of the neighbor pod invade and lied about being unmasked and gave the whole community COVID. And so there was a, my biggest, my first reaction was just like anger and frustration for how much work we'd all done to be cautious. Um, But then my, but then my second emotion was that fear because it affects the lungs. And I'm like, this is my livelihood. Um, 
but you know, I was lucky in the sense that I got it. So I got it this year in 2021 back in February. And so at this point, everybody knew the drill. We knew how to do Instacart we for groceries and all that kind of stuff. And so it was like, okay, I can do this. I'm gonna, you know, down a bunch of electrolytes every day, just let myself sleep. Um, you know, I was just really gentle with my body, completely quarantined and I was okay. How long did um, it take for you to recover Lockwood? I mean, it really was about two weeks. Wow. Yeah. Um, so it was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. I mean, this is my livelihood it involves my lungs. So well, you're uber healthy. I mean, you eat right, you exercise, you're still a very young woman. So you're pretty vibrant. Now during, during COVID, you partnered with Shelly Tackett, the wonderful and talented Shelly Tackett. Talk a little bit about your drive-in concert series that the two of you all put together with the Nash Craft Distillery. Yeah, I have to, so I'm, I have to give a, I mean, a special shout out to Shelly because I feel like I imprinted on her like this baby duckling because there were so many people in Nashville that looked at COVID and said, oh, well, the bars aren't open and tours are canceled. So I'll just sit at home and drink. I mean, literally, yeah, right, right. <laughs> you know, and, and Shelly did started doing these drive-in shows. And I, I feel like I just followed her around like this big sister. Like I, I, you know, she says we're good friends and whatever, but sometimes I like worry that she thinks I'm the annoying little sister where she's trying to hang out with her cool high school friends. And I'm like the seven-year-old that's like, bring me along. Um, (laughs) but she was just wonderful and took me under her wing and taught me so much about planning these shows not because, you know, this is a show structure that can work far beyond the COVID landscape. Um, and so she basically handed me a month in the fall and said, do whatever you want. I'm going to hand the reins over to you. You take these four Fridays and build a series. It's it's all you. I trust you. And I was like, oh, my God, do you? <laughs> so I at the at the time was teaching at Vanderbilt, which of course was all online because I, there were 200 students in my class and just, there's no way, you know, even if you cut the class in half for alternating days, it's still a hundred kids. That's just no way to make it safe. So I thought, okay, actually this is not far from campus. This could be a safe option. If students want to get outside their dorm, I'll do like a speaker series. So the first, so we did four weeks Two of them were, we called it Stories and Songs. So two of the weeks we had Devin O'Day interviewing, and she's an iconic radio host in the country music world. And then we had two weeks with Peter Cooper hosting, um, who is a fabulous songwriter and was my boss at Vanderbilt and, you know, iconic Tennessean journalist. So we have these two, like, sort of... um, titans of, of the country music industry and they facilitated interviews and concerts with major hitters. So week one, we literally had Devin O'Day interviewing um, Jeannie Seeley, who wow. is it? Is it her Opry? I think it's her like Opry anniversary coming up. And I think it's her birthday too. It's her yeah. birthday today, I she's believe. Amazing, And she's so funny too. She's so talented. Musically. Oh, hilarious. Hysterical. Um, Absolutely hysterical. I'm ridiculously funny, so snarky, um, played a bunch of stuff off her new record that was already up for Grammy consideration at the time. Um, and then we also had, I think my other favorite of the week was we had Matresa Berg who wrote nice. Strawberry Wine and so many other hits. And mm-hmm. so that was just, 
it was, and so of course I loved it too, because I'm, you know, I'm getting to meet these amazing icons as I'm organizing these shows and learning a ton. I mean, Jeannie Seely had some bumps in the road early in her career that had paralleled some that I had just gone through in the last couple years. And she had, she was so kind and she ended up having some amazing words of wisdom. Like I told her, I was like, Hey, I've gone through X, Y, Z in the last year. And I, you just talked about this and she ended up, so, you know, we kind of talked a little bit afterwards and she was so encouraging and was like, it doesn't matter. You've got this ended up writing me the sweetest letter that I got in the mail that I've kept just it's like, Oh, if I'm having a bad day, let me go read my letter from Jeannie Seely. Um, of just words of encouragement. Like she's just such this like character of female empowerment and same with Matresa Berg. Mm-hmm. Matresa and I ended up figuring out that we're kind of distantly related via the hillbilly Kentucky jeans. Um, hysterical. we're can, we were laughing so hard. We could not believe it. Um, Yeah. So it was, I, you know, it was this great opportunity because these drive-in shows were essentially tailgates. You know, the stage was 30 feet from the first car. Um, and then you stayed in your pod and, and then I have to give hats off too, to the Nashville craft distillery because they figured out, um, how to safely serve drinks and they would prepare these cocktail kits and with all the measurements pre-done, and they would, and then you could buy it in the little brown bag, take it back to your car and put it in cups and make the drinks yourself so that there wasn't any germ spreading. So it was, everyone was just very solution focused. Very um, innovative. Yeah. I, yes. I love that. I love that, that you empowered, uh, you were empowered through COVID and you didn't just sort of, you know, sit on the sidelines and lament. Um, you actually, you thrived. <laughs> if, if it's, I mean, it's hard to believe, but you did talk a little bit about the live streaming that you've been doing and, and your pole star uh, recognition. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, so I, I had a show that was a top 10 or top 20 show um, in the nation. One of the top, top live stream shows in the nation. Uh, one of the, in that last fall. And like, I mean, I, I think I, I, re- I remember I beat out Nora Jones and Michael Ray, which just seemed so absurd. Um, but, you know, it was kind of just one of those things where, you know, in the age of the internet and and all of the streaming possibilities, I figured out a way to play. I mean, I think it's just one of those things, too, where, first of all, I have to give credit, like, to the people that I surrounded myself with, because I think you are the product of the people you choose to hang out with. And... um. I ended up on a, a texting thread. We we called ourselves the Corn Queens, <laughs> you know, because this was this was in the period where like you couldn't even like going to a drive-in show and staying in your car still felt risky. Like this was when we started this thread. But and so the thread on some days was literally just like, I feel lonely. What's everyone watching on Netflix? Um, but then it also became a place to bounce ideas for live streaming and stuff like that. And so we had like, so we had on this thread, we had Shelly Tackett, um, Sarah Peacock, who's been in billboard several times this year has been also doing amazing Shelly Fairchild, the one and only, um, Carlene Watt. We had this thread of like really incredible women. So we were not only sort of keeping each other company via text and everything, but also tossing ideas and being innovative. And, and so I really give credit to those women where it's almost like we were holding each other accountable for Mm -hmm. like, okay, we have this like unique opportunity in history where this is, 
you know, a bunch, a big change is happening and we need to fit into it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so this, the, all these live streaming drive shows, we were just constantly trying to figure out what can we do next? What can we do next? Who's done something that worked? Who tried this? Has anybody tried this? What about, you know, I mean, I remember feeling so excited that I went to FedEx and ordered a, a banner with my Venmo and PayPal handles on it. And it's an outdoor banner. So now I can just have it with me. And, but I took it to the drive-in show and it was big enough that the cars that were 30 and 60 feet away could send, could see my logo and send me digital tips. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, things like that, where we just all would be like tossing around ideas and be like, well, who, did this work for so-and-so? And hey, when you guys played that as a band, and I say as a band, I think the most I did was like four people, but you know, yeah, yeah. yeah. Should, we, should we stay masked or okay, if we're going to do this live stream, let's make sure to get COVID tested beforehand. And you know, oh, well that worked for me. And so it was this, I, I had a really great group of, of women. There was sort of this sisterhood where we supported each other as, as we were doing all this trial and error. And so, you know, I was so grateful to have that show, um, rank on Polestar. I got, you know, I got playlisted on ACMs. Like there were a bunch of big things that happened, you know, and I was kind of joking, honestly, like I joked with my family about this, but I think in a way it's true. Um, I think, I think part of my success too, was that the talent pool thinned because it's like half of the town was sitting at home drinking, complaining that there weren't, <laughs> that we were in COVID. And yeah. so it's like literally the talent pool thinned and it was like, well, while everybody else is sleeping, I'm going to go get some stuff done. <laughs> there you, go. you know, I'm going to be on this thread with these amazing women. I'm going to try these live streams. I'm going to experiment with this drive-in show. I'm just going to go for it. And it's, you know, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. And, um, yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's easy to like, look back fondly on it now because I did get over COVID safely and all the shows did go really well. And I I mean, it was hard. Like there were just moments of feeling lonely and everything like that. But I mean, overall it was, I'll always look back fondly on it. I will. Like I've, you know, I've tried to, I think at this point, I made it out okay. So I'm just going to try to block out the stuff that was painful and isolating and just say, man, what a magical time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, one of, one of the things that's, that's coming up is you've got a song, a new song getting ready to drop on, I believe it's July 23rd. This song is uh, called Already Gone. You want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. It. Um. So I'm releasing it uh, with my producer for the last year or so, Jamie Perrineau, who, uh, Jamie is just fabulous. He, um, you know, has worked with, he's toured with Leanne Rimes. He was in, uh, Taylor Swift's first music director. I mean, this man just is absolutely brilliant and for some reason thinks I'm great. So I'm just going to go with it, um, before he (laughs) figures it out. But, um, yeah, he brought this hook to me because he's such a good guitar player. Like that's really where he, how he got into the, the settled into the industry and had sort of had this, like this riff and the melody and, and, and sort of this outline with the chorus and everything built. And he was like, I feel like it was almost like a Christmas present. He was like, do you want in? Like, let's do that. Let's finish this song. Like, I feel like this could be something you could dive into. And I was like, uh, yeah. Um, so we finished it in one writing session. It was really fast. Um, and the other writer, so it's me, Jamie, and, and another very, very talented man, Fred Schaefer. And um, 
I'm actually going to work on releasing an acoustic version of the song later in the year as well, because it's one of these songs that, well, I think good songwriting transcends arrangement, but you know, we've done obviously the, the arrangement that's coming out on July 23rd is very modern. Um, but it's really fun acoustic. I think it's just, it's a fun melody line. It's a fun groove and it talks about, um, a breakup, which ironically, like I, this is actually one of the few cases where it's not a diary entry, but it's just sinfully fun to sing. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's something that I've been certainly been there before in the past. I mean, you know, breakups are breakups, but, um, I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm not gonna, I mean, I love all my songs. They're all my babies, but this one is, I think it's, I'm excited for everyone to hear it. Excellent. Now, um, what is just, Real quick, what is the best advice you've ever received and what advice would you like to offer anybody who uh, wants to go into the music industry, wants to maybe is looking for a college if they want to are looking for education, but also sort of life lessons that you'd like to impart? Yeah, there's two that come to mind right off the bat. And one of them uh, was from Reese Palmer and she told me, that being in the music industry is like being a prize cage fighter. It's not about throwing the toughest punch. It's about staying in the ring long enough to hold, to throw the final punch, Uh Um, Mm -hmm. which I love. Like, it's like, you know, it's not like I have to put all of my eggs into this one, you know, into this one basket and this one song has to do it. It's like, no, you have to have stamina. You have to keep putting out songs. You have to keep writing. You have to keep. So that was, thank you, Reese Palmer. Um, And then the, the other one, uh, that Jen Gunderman told me was essentially, I'll try to boil it down. Cause this was a long girl talk we were having was she was like, essentially put your blinders on. Like, cause right when I got out of college, I was really intimidated. Um, you know, I was working retail and trying to figure, you know, pay bills and try to go play shows and all of these things. And Jen was like, okay, I'm going to warn you. You're going to see a lot of annoying you know, little girls and little boys that have daddy's money and a professional makeup artist and the industry seems to be doting on them and they don't understand the real world. Just put your blinders on. You focus on the music. Don't worry about anyone. Like, don't worry about the daddy's money brats who can't actually write or play their instruments. Just do you. You be the best version of you. And... And I loved that. And thank God, because sure enough, she told me that uh, right at the end of college. And sure enough, I got out of college and I did see those people. And it was it was hard where they were like, oh, I want to go on a tour. So daddy bought me a Suburban. And I'm like, uh." (laughs) it was just like, "Okay, Lockwood, you can do that. Like, you know, and like I'm like, they don't even play guitar, you know, and it was like just sort of this like and I just remembered and Jen you know, was like, okay, you work and you find you. And I also believe in like attracting, you know, and I've heard this not just from Jen, but other people too. It's like, you sort of like attract what you put out. And so I tried, what I tried to put out into the world was finding really hardworking, kind, good humans. And, and I've been able to find that. And I was able to put the blinders on and not get distracted, um, Mm -hmm. by the, by the little princesses and stuff and just keep going. And, um, I mean, I even think about working with PLA. It's like, there's so many PR people in town and I've definitely heard horror stories, um, from 
you know, so-called PR firms taking people's money and not, you know what I mean? It's like, you guys were the first PR firm I ever met. Like, it's like, I, I feel so lucky. It's like, I, I feel like there was almost like some cosmic guidance. Um, you know, I'm just so grateful for what you all have been able to, to, uh, the community and every, everything I've learned. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful journey, as I said earlier, and we've just seen you grow and really blossom and your confidence and, and all of it. If people want to reach out to you, how do they find you? If people want to book you for a show, uh, tell, tell the people that are listening how they can reach out to Lockwood Bar. Yeah. Well, first of all, so the spelling is Lockwood, like a lock and a piece of wood. Um, very simple. And then bar with two R's. Um, and so you can go to lockwoodbar.com. Um, to book me for shows if you shoot an email to booking at lockwoodbar.com and then all of my social media handles whether it's facebook twitter instagram uh tiktok everything all of those handles are at music by lockwood so hit me up anywhere like on any one of those mediums and i'll uh i'll chat (laughs) wonderful now what are we looking for between now and the end of the year do we have anything coming up or any bucket list things you want to do or accomplish yeah i mean my baby right now is definitely the song and then other than that i'm working on uh touring i'm working on booking tour dates um i cannot wait to get out fully on the road i'm hoping that'll happen sort of by the end of summer Mm -hmm. so um yeah i just i am craving the road life again um you know, I used to, before COVID, I had my like two sets of toiletries. Like I had a suitcase that was always half permanently packed with like a second <laughs> toothbrush and everything uh-huh. so that I could just throw stuff in and go. And I want to get back to that, you know, do the weekend warrior thing, go play a show, come home, right. Go play a show. Come like, I I'm so craving it. So yeah. Lockwood, you are a delight. You brighten my life having you on our roster. And I want to thank you for being part of applaudable perspectives and Stay tuned and keep making music. We love you. So tell it to my heart, say it to my face. Tell me that you 